0: Well, good morning and welcome to this edition of Sean and Dee's Good Tape. A very special episode today as we're opening up with a little nirvana. And Dee, if that doesn't wake you up in the morning, I don't know what will.
1: Well, it's afternoon here, Sean, but it does wake you up. A little <laughs> yeah. <a little> kicky.
0: <laughs> Seven o'clock in the morning here, one o'clock in the afternoon for you over in Germany. But uh, but yeah, you know, it's funny. We're going to do a look at Nirvana's Unplugged album today from uh, late 1993. And that will honestly be the heaviest song that we'll hear the entire day because most of the rest of it is not plugged in like that.
1: One of my favorite albums of all time. And by the way, hello,
0: Bongo. Throw that
1: in there. <laughs>
0: And we have a special guest today. Richie's joining us again for this episode. How you doing, Richie?
1: Not too
2: bad, guys. Glad to be here. I, I looked it's, up, up at the screen. One.
0: We always do this on the on the Zoom, and I was like, oh, I introduced D," and then I looked up, and Richie was just still sitting there, and I was like, oh, yeah. I guess people should know that he's here, too. <laughs> what?
2: what They can't see me? Yeah. <laughs> That's not how this works.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So um, we're going to get to Nirvana Unplugged, and this is going to be a two-part episode where we'll go over the first seven songs from the album in this episode, and then next week, we will go over the other seven songs, and we're also going to pick, each of us pick a song that we think should have made the unplugged album that would have sounded good acoustically as we go along. But first, before we get started with all of that, I want to talk about, I was uh, listening to XM radio yesterday, listening to the lithium channel, ironically named after a Nirvana song. And, um, uh, one thing they were talking about, we ta- we've we talked a lot about Oasis and particularly the, the What's the Story Morning Glory album. It's the 25th anniversary. It's hard to believe that it's already been 25 years since that album hit the charts and really became a huge success for Oasis. We're fucking old. That's what that means. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, um, if you get a chance to check it out, Noel Gallagher has a show that they're playing on um, Sirius XM that talks about and takes a look back at the album and what the songs mean and all that stuff. I did not hear the part about uh, Champagne Supernova to see how he explained that song, but if he does, (laughs) we'll bring it back up again in the future.
1: That's that's what brought my mom into the show too. <laughs> that's right,
0: <laughs> absolutely. So um, uh, another thing to talk about we we were on the podcast last week and uh, we were we were talking about how uh, I was very happy that uh, the Dallas Cowboys had uh, pulled off one of the most historic wins in franchise history by a huge comeback victory over the Atlanta Falcons and only could only be possibly topped by the Super Bowl. Um, when the Falcons lost to the New England Patriots. But then, lo and behold, we were talking about the Bears and Falcons, and it happened again.
2: So, yeah, um, first off, for the record, that piddly little game with Dallas, meaningless. <laughs> After the Super Bowl, <laughs> like, my soul is just dead. So, so really, you know, it, finding new and interesting ways to win each week are, are just really fascinating. I mean, it gets people talking about the Atlanta Falcons it does. at this point. It does. Um, yeah, no, we, we need to fire our coach, and uh, yeah. How is he not
0: fired? I figured for sure that the second week in a row of doing that would be the end, and he's still there.
2: Well, so I think there's no reason to uh, cast him aside before you go into Green Bay and, and pick up that L, and then the problem there is it's a Monday night game, so you're probably not going to replace your coach on a short week. I, I At this point, I think – Blank might actually just let the guy ride out the season, Mm. which totally sucks because he'll do the same thing he did last year where all of a sudden they'll win three, actually six games down the stretch to look competent and ruin our draft pick.
1: Wayne Font's move.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, if it makes you feel any better and maybe history will repeat itself, there was this coach named Wade Phillips that used to coach the Cowboys and they went into Green Bay and they were like, 0 and four or something like that and got annihilated and they fired him right after the game. So hopefully that'll happen for you this week. If, but you know, the Falcons, because they actually are a decent team and they have decent players. You never know. They may go into Green Bay and win, you know, it just, it wouldn't shock me.
2: And yeah, and that's that's kind of the you know the scenario that happened last year that I'm really hoping doesn't happen because mm-hmm. it the, this team watching them they have a a definite um, just mental block now after that Super Bowl they've never gotten over that and I I don't think you can until you change either personnel or coach yeah I agree and I'm happy with the personnel so by coach. Yeah,
0: I agree. And then the other thing that happened last week that was interesting in that game is it finally marked the end of the Mitch Trubisky era in Chicago. And D, I think you've probably got to be pretty happy about that because Nick Foles, while he's not necessarily what I would deem a great quarterback, he has winning results most of the time.
1: And it's funny, the last time he, uh, you know, started a game, uh, well, not started a game, but his last win prior to uh, yesterday or last week, was in the playoff game against the bears in 2018.
0: Oh, the double doink.
1: The double doink. Yeah. yeah. I guess that was 2019, but, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, they're not a good team. So it's hard for me to even get excited about even a quarterback change. I mean, I know they're three and O, but Jesus yeah. Christ, they, they're the worst three, and know, that you could be,
0: you know, three and O is three and O though. It's better than being one and two or O and three, like our two teams. Are. It's better than having
1: three or two back to back crushing losses in the fourth quarter. I guess <laughs> <laughs>
0: Historically, I thought, see i thought is. you were being a little tame here because you're usually the one who piles on a lot more than me so i was waiting you were just waiting for a strike
1: i was so. waiting i was waiting for my move and plus you know our mm. baseball seasons are over so
0: yeah I just, no
2: so here, here's the deal guys i'm just letting you enjoy this because i know winter is coming and winter is going to involve a typical cowboy shit show oh yeah like just down the stretch you can see it coming it's going to be beautiful And then they have to figure out if they're paying Dak. And for for D, I I have to correct Sean, that was not Mitch Trubisky's last game. You're going to have the ghost of Mitch come back and start your damn playoff game because Nick Foles gets hurt. And and it's going to be beautiful to watch. I can't wait.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, his last planned game. How about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So anyway, yes, no. I, I mean, I fully, I fully, fully expect the shit show out of Dallas. You're right. You're totally right because they do it every year. They're seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven. They disappoint over and over again. But I'll always have week two. I'll always have week two. So we'll have week two. Yeah, I got
1: week three right behind it.
0: (laughs) I know this is your worst nightmare when it comes to sports. Almost the last couple of weeks,
2: Uh, other than once again. I, I hate Quinn so much that losing in spectacular fashion like that just makes me happy because I think it I, I think at some point Arthur Blank's got to be like, I'm old. I can't take watching this shit anymore. You're gone.
0: You'd hope so at some point. I do have a question though, Richie. Um, We haven't talked about Homer too much the last couple of weeks. He's um, I haven't heard from him for a while. So we need to hear back from you, Homer. Usually each week I get a message from Sharon telling what Homer thought of the podcast. And I haven't heard from him for, for about a month now because we were off for a couple of weeks and stuff, but who is Homer? Because, you know, he quit rooting for the Cowboys because of the Tony Romo situation. And now the Patriots kind of crapped all over Tom Brady. So who does Homer root for at this point?
2: That's a tough one. I really don't know. Um, we, we haven't really talked about it. I assume in typical bandwagon fashion, he's either uh, all in on the chiefs or the Ravens. Hmm. So that, that would be my, you know, cause we, we don't talk after week. What was it? Week two, week three. Yeah. Whenever, yeah. Whenever it was. Um, yeah. I, I would assume, you know, whatever front running team he can climb on. To, <laughs>
0: it. It's easier to be a bandwagon fan. You're never disappointed that way. It,
2: Almost never. (laughs)
0: Yeah, exactly. So anyway, um, so the other thing, you know, that we kind of touched on our three baseball team or our two baseball teams, the Cubs and the Cardinals both got eliminated on the same day yesterday. So baseball season's over. So basically what it means is with football season not being all that great so far, maybe we should just do more podcasts or something like that.
2: Yeah, I think we're there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So, let's
2: just listen right. to the music.
0: Yes, yeah, so let's get into this particular podcast, into the meat of it, and we look at MTV Unplugged in New York, the Nirvana edition, which was released actually on CD on in November of 1994. It was after Kurt Cobain had passed away. And what was it? D about a year after the actual event was taped, is that right? Yeah, it it looks
1: like it was recorded on the 18th and 93, November 18th, 93, uh, aired in that December. And then the album was released November 1st, 1994.
0: And I can remember we were juniors in high school when this came out, and we were so excited about it being released on... on CD that we wanted, we we wanted it so bad. So, so we ended up having my mom who worked in Springfield, which was like the only place you could buy brand new CDs. You couldn't, you couldn't get them in the small town where we lived or anything like that. Stopped by Best Buy after work and bought three copies of it and brought them, brought them home. And one copy was for you, one copy or D one copy was for me. And one copy was for our friend Kenny. And, um, it was like awesome to actually have that in our collection.
2: I'm just glad you guys were able to disappoint me back to back years. I mean, November 18th, three days after my 16th birthday, thanks for not taking me to the show. Um, you know, as a birthday gift and then, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, no CD the next year. So
0: man, fuck you guys. We didn't know. <laughs> we didn't know how to drive to Springfield hardly at that point, much less wherever <laughs> the show was taped in New York. <laughs> uh, unplugged in New York. So. Yeah. I said, well, where, well, wherever it was taped in New York.
1: Yeah. Well, well,
2: you guys wouldn't have had your licenses then. And, uh, I would have had mine for a whopping two days at that
0: point. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yes. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, um, first song is off of the only, I believe it's the only one off the bleach album that they played on this. And it's, it's about a girl opened up the show.
1: The best part is he opens it up with, uh, the songs off of our first album. Most of you don't own it. And you know, at this point, when you're hearing it on CD, everybody in the world owns this cd you know because after kurt cobain died and everything so everybody knew this song at that
0: point here it is i'll play what you're talking about this is our first record most people don't own it it's a cool song though i actually like the song acoustically more than i like the version on bleach
2: and that actually goes for a lot of these songs here and i think we'll probably talk about this throughout but this song originally so it was their independent label when they when they released Uh bleach it only sold like thirty-five thousand copies originally mm-hmm. and then eventually went on to have have sold over a million as people went back and, and bought their album but yeah oh, he was definitely right people his, didn't own it
0: his death made nirvana a lot richer in terms of albums even though they were very popular beforehand i'm not taking that away from them at all but his death made him th- the band even much more mainstream than it already was
2: yeah and, and i think we kind of have to touch on that that I really do think that his death not only changed how you look at this this entire uh, set and and especially the the video portion of it, but it really does change just how popular this was, I, I think this I don't think this unplugged would have reached anywhere near the same level that it did without, you know, his death form five months later.
0: Well, it helps that it looked like, it helps that it looked like a, uh, you know, when you, when you look back at it, it's almost like he's conducting his own funeral in some ways. And I don't know if that was meant to be that way or not, Dennis, you may have some more light to shed on that, but I mean, the way that it was set up and it even talks about it in the notes that it was designed to be set up that way into a a funeral look, the way that it was with all the candles and the, and everything that went along with it. And I mean, you know, this is only what six months before he ended up committing suicide. So in some ways it feels like, as you mentioned earlier, Richie, it's kind of like a goodbye to to the band in some ways. Well, and
1: and it was also supposed to be part of a, uh, uh, you know, like a double LP that they were going to release before he, you know, before he passed away. Like they had already planned on doing that. And then, and then, you know, the look of the funeral and everything uh, was, you know, very intentional, but I don't know if he meant it. You know, to be that foreshadowing of you know what was going to take place. You mm-hmm. know, like you said, six months later. Uh, but but this show, this show, I remember watching it when it first aired on MTV. Just blew me away.
0: Mm-hmm. Blew me okay.
1: away. Much like you know the Pearl Jam one did for for my fandom of Pearl Jam. Like that was what got me into Pearl Jam. That's when I said you know, in, and that was in uh, March of '92. Uh But yeah, this 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 show absolutely stuck with me for so long after I saw it like trying to find it on reruns you know because this was before On Demand or YouTube or any of shit like that like anytime I could catch it especially Where'd You Sleep Last Night which we'll talk about just and about a girl coming out like this just blew me away like this is the pinnacle for me like this is my desert island album if I had to pick one it would be this album.
0: Did you own Bleach, like at this point had you already, oh, did you already have it?
1: No no not when this came out. I, I think I had never mind. Uh, sure, and maybe that's a side at that point too. But uh,
0: uh, In Utero had been out at this point, right?
1: Uh, in Utero came out either shortly after this aired or right before it aired, and I got it for Christmas that year. I remember. Okay. Uh, but uh, uh, but yeah, no, it's yeah. Because it, all apologies, this was the first time anybody heard all apologies too, which we'll get into <laughs> later. I'm jumping ahead, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what,
2: just from the reading that I've done, and it's like The Ringer did a really good oral history of this show uh, two years ago, and uh, Guitar World did another one. And it, it, they're all pretty adamant with going back to the set design. Kurt came up with the design. He he basically said, this is what I want. Um, and, and a lot of that has to do with just how he was as an artist. He did not care for the look of most of the previous Unplugs, he thought they looked kind of sterile and, and, and plain, and he wanted something a little bit more scenic. But the uh, MTV producer that he was working with on this flat out said, you mean like a funeral? Um, and and yeah, yeah, like that. But that was basically at that point in time, that was the only real funeral talk that had gone on, and it wasn't till afterwards. And then um, in the Guitar World magazine, they really talk about how when the death happened, MTV basically put this on on a continuous loop on the station for that weekend, and that it really was the uh, the the uh, the kind of grieving process that most of the fans went through. Because this
1: was oh, Absolutely. absolutely, it uh, and, and and again, you know, ironically or not, you know, the look of the funeral, you know, six months later was just like so profound. I mean, and, and it, everybody does that shit—the second guessing and, and no. you know. Conspiracy theories, sort of things. You know, people want to talk about, uh, but it, but it is really interesting that that it was that look, that funeral, yes. and then, it, like you said, it was help. It helped a lot of people. You know, deal with it.
2: Yeah, and and the Ringer article actually implies that we probably would have never gotten the uh, CD if he hadn't died. Interesting. Um, hmm. The reason being, the band didn't realize how much. Uh, MTV was going to take of the proceeds of the album and we're basically like, well, screw you guys. We, we just won't release it. You know, if we ever want to, we can go across the street and record a uh, acoustic album ourselves and, and keep all the profits. And that was because it was under the MTV unplugged piece. They had kind of, it almost sounds like canceled the idea of that double album.
0: Hmm. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, because I they obviously had to go ahead and release it if they wanted to at that point though because there was no way to to obviously re-record it. But man, that's I'm I I mean, that would have been awful for that album not to have been released because I think it hit another pinnacle once it was on CD, because obviously a CD travels with you everywhere or did at that time. And you could listen to it in the car and stuff like that and not just have to sit in front of a television to uh, to enjoy it. You know, I I think people that are listening to this that um, are maybe a little bit younger, don't understand the the constraints that there used to be when it came to listening to music and stuff like that, that just don't exist today. Cause now, I mean, I, I was playing all the stuff I was playing earlier through my phone uh, into the board, yeah. you know, and stuff. And that just doesn't, it didn't work. It didn't exist then.
2: Well, and, and like this week I I listened to just the album itself, probably four times going back and mm-hmm. forth to work. And then around Wednesday, I'm like, you know, it'd be fun to, to hear the songs with their originals. And I, I like, while I'm sitting in the parking lot at work, I, in, in a couple minutes <laughs> created the playlist that I sent to you guys yeah. that had the original version, and then
1: the, the album version back to back throughout.
0: That's cool, yeah. And it's great cool. the
1: contrast between those two. Like, like, oh, yeah. you know, we talked about before we started recording, you know, like Kurt wrote most of his songs acoustically originally. You know, so he had the uh, the foundation for, you know, these things already set in his head. Uh, but to hear them this way, you know, after hearing all the screaming and stuff, on, you know, Smells Like Kings Beard, all that shit on the radio, to hear these songs broken down this way, and as beautiful as most of them turned out is, is remarkable.
2: And I thought the through line through like all of the songs really is how much more you hear Kurt's voice in these songs. And it's, it's because of the acoustic set and um, one of the MTV producers that was really concerned with uh, how Dave Grohl was going to sound uh, specifically because, I mean, he's, he's Dave Grohl. He will overpower the rest of the band uh, back there on the drums. And he actually, before the show gave him a, uh, two different sets of sticks uh the and you you can see them in the uh the
0: brushes the ones that look like yeah the brushes and then
2: the the kind of the the fatter ones that he's using which is basically both of them are designed to deaden the the sound that he makes a little bit and i mean there are times where you can't even tell the drums going and and i think it's just when you listen to the album versions the the accompaniment overpowers Kurt's voice on a lot of times. And it it just, it, this entire show, it doesn't.
0: What I used is our intro show today, aneurysm. I mean, that's, that's the greatest example of Dave Grohl on the drums. I mean, he really is just beating the hell out of him on that song. And there's a lot of other ones that he's very much like that. And if you've ever watched him in concert, when he does hop on the drums for, you know, Queens of the stone age, or if you see an old Nirvana thing or something like that, I mean, he really does just absolutely wail on the drums. Absolutely. But he's really good at it. Yes so 20 minutes into the show about a girl <laughs> we'll get to the first song <laughs> um i think that i think the one thing that's most fascinating is this is the time that you know and, and, it, and it talks a lot about it in our notes for the show and d and i was thinking about maybe we should start taking our notes and putting them you know with the playlist in the notes for the show what do you think about that so people can oh, kind of read well, what we're what we're going along with it kind of makes sense to do that so people can read that
1: i i, I think that's a great idea we can uh... I mean a lot of the shit we obviously just take off of Wikipedia or something like that. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. but it'll give them a little more insight to some of the songs mm-hmm. that we you know, because we go on sidebars quite a bit.
0: You know, like, and we and we can't talk about everything that's in all the notes and all of that kind of stuff. No, so, sure. Yeah, it gives you a little bit more. Yeah. But the the most interesting thing to me about this song, because it was on Bleach and it was at a time when people didn't know who Nirvana was and all of that kind of stuff, is that there was some hesitation with this song because it changed from them being just looked at as a grunge band. And because there was such a heavy Beatles influence, you know, we obviously had a show a few weeks ago about the Beatles. There was such a heavy Beatles influence on this song because Kurt loved the Beatles. I, I just think that's fascinating that he couldn't, he, there was some fear of him being himself because it was going to alienate some people that enjoyed Nirvana at that time.
1: Even to put about a girl on Bleach was a risk. I was heavily into pop. I really liked R.E.M. And I was into all kinds of old 60s stuff. Uh, but there was a lot of pressure within the social scene the underground, like the kind of thing you get in high school. And to put a jangly R.E.M. type of pop song in a grunge record, and, and that scene was risky. That's a curt uh, to uh, David Frick in 93, Rolling Stone.
2: Uh, and And part of the backstory on this song is that he had spent a day listening to Meet the Beatles, the day before he wrote this like it like that was the influence that that kind of brought him to write this song about his then uh, girlfriend that he was living with
1: the uh, the other thing that that i liked about them you know including this song very first on you know the show uh you know it was like this is the introduction to nirvana this is off our first record most people don't own it you need to hear it Yep.
2: And, and I think it set the tone for the night, and that's going back, and, and you, you recommended yesterday to, to, to watch the DVD again, I did, going back and uh, watching the audience and, and seeing how the audience reacted when, you know, Nirvana knew they weren't going to play any songs the audience had heard except for the next one we talk about, and I, I, think, I think this just really kind of set the stage, and it's amazing to me how well behaved and, and on point the audience was considering they definitely didn't get the show that they, they showed up for that night that mm-hmm. they thought they were. But in
1: such a great way too. Though. Yes. Yes. Again,
0: so just, again, for, just go ahead, D
1: again, just this show just blew my blew me away. Like again, my favorite record of all time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. So moving on to the next song, because um, we're, uh, we're um, very deep into this uh, podcast already. Come as you are is the next one. And as we, as we were talking about before we started the show, it's really the only major hit that they used during this MTV unplugged which seems so bizarre to think about because when I think of Nirvana a lot of the songs that are on the unplugged are now songs that I think about but at the time people hadn't heard the vast majority of what they what they put on here unless you listen to the albums in full
1: well and and, in coming up next after come as you are well there's a reason why they didn't hadn't heard a lot of these songs because half the songs aren't even by then Exactly. originally but but yeah it, it was interesting that they chose come as you are it, and it and it's this is the best version of this song uh we talked about it a little earlier you know before we got on here that this is probably this is the second single i believe off it. never mind right. and i was not crazy about it like it's still probably one of my least favorite nirvana songs but this version of it here is amazing it's yeah. it's really well done like this is the definitive version of it for me Coming on the heels
2: of Teen Spirit, it doesn't, like, Come As You Are is not on that plateau, really. And it, it I, I think that leads to kind of how your feelings about the song, because that one was also played heavily, but it, it just, it, it doesn't have the same punch that, that you know, their, their first single had.
1: Yeah, and I think that was intentional, but it, it still wasn't done. Yeah, it just didn't do it for me at that time, because we are you know, coming in and out of the uh, the hair metal, you know, yes. Guns N' Roses, Poison, Death Leopard phase into this and this was mm-hmm. just so much different than, mm-hmm. than like it, you said
2: it amazes me that mtv uh let this happen because they they knew what the playlist was going to be they definitely wanted more i mean that's that's a through line in, in both of those kind of look back articles i was talking about earlier are they definitely wanted more but they still allowed the the band to kind of do what the band wanted and, and trusted the the um, artists which it worked out gloriously for them
0: so, the next two songs, as you mentioned, D, are songs that are not Nirvana songs. I believe, yeah, the next two. And then we get back into more of a Nirvana, actually original list for a little bit. But I would say these next two, besides until we get to the very end of the album, are probably two of my favorites that they actually have on the entire record. Absolutely.
1: Uh, Jesus don't want me for a song, D. Like, do you remember the first time you heard that? Oh yeah! Oh, my God! Just again, I'm just thinking about.
0: Let it. me like, let me play the the first little bit of it here because it's just the way it starts out with it's it's such a different instrumental than what you would think from a band like Nirvana. I believe it's got a little bit of an accordion in it. Am I right? By that,
2: yes, it does. Yeah, it does.
1: Chris set playing the accordion.
0: It just sounds so cool.
1: Oh, going back to that Common kind of Crow song that you like with the
0: accordion too. <laughs> oh, yeah, so no, it's 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 a great, um, and I'm not going to play the full versions of any of these songs, but you should get on and listen to it yourself. But but no, this song is. Um, I mean, it just doesn't sound like something that Nirvana would ever play. Like I said, but um, but it and it and it's obviously not their song, but they make it their own. That's the thing about all these songs: is by the time they get done playing them, you feel like these are Nirvana songs, not whoever originally sang them. Yeah. He says well, on
1: the show, "It's a rendition of an old Christian song, I think, but we do it the Vaseline's way, being the the, the band the Vaseline's who released it in '92." Uh, uh, but it's so good.
2: And I would say they they sing the Vaseline song, but they definitely don't do it the Vaseline's way. I mean, listening to that, that is like a a poppy, tri- kind of trippy little song. And it and whereas Kurt's rendition is, is very much a more somber piece, I think.
0: Moving on, to, Go go ahead, D. No, go no, I was just agreeing, Richie. That's all. No, moving on to the next song. Um, very very powerful, and I, I want to play the first little little uh, chord of this, but because um this is a. <laughs> The Man Who Sold the World.
2: so
0: So the beginning guitar riff on that song is just amazing to me. I just have always loved it. It's such a such a great guitar riff, and this song originally by David Bowie. And the thing I like about it so much is is that Bowie actually was very, very flattered that Nirvana chose to cover this song.
1: Bowie called Nirvana's cover heartfelt, noting that until this cover, it hadn't occurred to me that I was part of America's musical landscape. I always felt my weight in Europe, but not in the states. And and I mean, to have it a guy like David Bowie to wait that long to, to get some sort of, you know, acknowledgement of it and to have it this way, like this song. Uh, so fucking <laughs>
2: good. But, but that's the interesting thing. As I look back on it, I never knew this was a Bowie song for years. Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't, for I didn't know what a Bowie song was. Right. I, as I started thinking back on it, I'm like, yeah, that was just a hole in my uh, my music lineage because QLZ certainly didn't play it. Yeah. I don't remember YMG ever playing, which was our, the, uh, the, more classic rock station around us. I don't remember YMG ever playing Bowie. I
0: mean, maybe like I think that, maybe like Under Pressure, something like that. Yeah, it, it, well, yeah. that was
1: that's Queen and David Bowie. Right. But I think he, he right. played Young Americans, which was the only one I that I think was on my radar. Uh, you know, shortly around this time, uh, uh, you know, of course, then you hear Nirvana talking about David Bowie, and then everybody gets into David Bowie.
2: It, the only reason I knew who he was was from the movie Labyrinth. Oh yeah, (laughs) which i loved as a kid yeah yeah
1: that's hilarious
0: so no um man who sold the world is is one of the better songs on the record so if you haven't uh if you haven't ever heard it do it um and then they get back into as we're getting you know kind of marching towards the end here of the end of our our first um look at this is uh they get back on to some of their own songs and they go to in utero, which as you had mentioned, Dennis maybe had not been released yet at this point or had just been released. And this, this song's called penny royalty.
1: This was a, uh, and, and this was the one he played by himself. Uh, you know, it, it, for this show, I think he said, am I going to do this one by myself? It, it was. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do it by yourself. I believe. <laughs> All the yeah, little yeah. goofies. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. But see, and again with the CD, we have all this stuff, just like the whole uh, the song, the first record. Most people don't own it.
2: And and I watching the 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 uh, comment the DVD, how much more of that there actually was that was cut out in the uh, in the on the CD that you can actually follow along. But this the album came out a month before this show was taped, so it it was brand new.
1: Yeah the other thing about this song was it was supposed to be the, the next single right before he, he passed away. Yep. And, uh, and the B side of it, the reason, the biggest reason why it, they got, it got stopped was the, uh, the track he, uh, I hate myself and want to die, which ended up being, I believe on the Beavis and Butthead experience album. I think
2: you're right. I think you're yeah. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Uh, but, uh, but it was supposed to come out in April of that year, you know, and, you know, of course that's not a great way to, uh,
2: well, in your notes, the German version existed, right? Like it, it did get small release before they pulled it back.
1: Yes. Yeah. It, 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 uh, and you can find them, but like they sell for a ridiculously high amount of money. And I believe it came out eventually, uh, as like a record store day album. I think I, I saw that in the notes, uh, you know, the, where the independent record stores get all the the, the exclusive things, you know, to, to bring attention to them. I think it eventually did come out on vinyl, but the, uh, the CD part. Yeah, it's still out there. You can find it, but it's expensive as hell.
0: This song's not about what I thought it was about by the way reading the notes that you put that it was more about his the stomach pains that he that he dealt with and being sick and depressed and and so on I'd always I think I think we'd always talked about that this song was more about abortion than it was anything but apparently it's not Oh I have forgotten all about that
1: yeah. yeah it was supposed to be like that was I forgot all about that
0: Yeah yeah apparently well, wait, it's about major stomach pain over. but 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 Penny Royalty is a is something that can be used in abortions, I guess. I'm not real familiar with it to be quite honest,
2: but it's an, it's an herbal kind of old wives tale of, Hey, take this. And that'll, that'll, it'll cause the abortion. But it, it, you know, Kurt says, I've known a lot of people that have tried and it hasn't worked.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I mean, I'd never really studied the song to be honest, but, but for years I just always heard that that's what it was about. But apparently it's about the fact that he had serious stomach pains and he was depressed and sick a lot. And it's kind of based on that.
1: the uh, it was an interesting I, I mean it fits perfectly in the show uh you know it, it's kind of had it's got that weird sort of uh again going back to like come as you are talking about it like you it was unexpected from a nirvana a song like this i guess it, it, it's similar to the next song coming up or the next two songs coming up actually where it's a little bit you know more mellow uh but uh but it fit right in with this show
0: yeah, the next song, the next song is "Dumb," which was also off of In Utero. And um, re- reading the notes on this, the song's actually a much more sad song than what you would uh, what you would ever think. Because I think this song, kind of for us at least, kind of became a comical, little bit of a comical song because of the way we would sing it and, and you know just kind of goof around with it and stuff. But it but it's actually about somebody who just does not feel like they're adequate and actually is really really down on themselves in life. Which I you know that's uh, that's not cool.
1: It's yeah, no, and, and the 2015 uh, interview with Francis, his daughter, uh, she said she cries every time she hears that song. It's a stripped down version of Kurt's perception of himself, of himself on drugs, off drugs, feeling inadequate to be to be tilted the voice of a, to be titled the voice of a generation. And it makes so much sense now. Again, going like a lot of the songs we talk about, you don't realize the heaviness. Uh, uh, or the darkness of them, you know, when 25 years ago and listening to it now with the fresh ears and and as we're older and and more experienced, it's crazy.
0: I think Cobain's explanation in 1993 is more along the lines of where we were with it when it came out um explaining the song's just about people who are easily amused people who not only aren't capable of progressing their intelligence but are totally happy watching 10 hours of TV and really enjoying it and then he says I've met a lot of dumb people they have a shitty job they may be totally lonely they don't have a girlfriend they don't have much of a social life and yet for some reason they're happy I mean I I think that's probably where we were with the song you know in terms of uh you know people just being kind of goofy in their own way her interpretation of it, though, takes it to a totally another another level if she's right about it. I mean, you're also talking about his daughter who he didn't who didn't really know him because he was she was um so little when he when he ended up dying. But but her interpretation does will make me change the way I think about the song totally.
2: And that that last piece where, where she didn't you know have time with him. That's the biggest thing I took away from that quote was, you know, she refers to him as Kurt, not dad or yeah. because, you know, they, they never had any time together.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. So finally the final song on our list for the first um, part of this album and we kind of blew through a break today D so I hope you're hanging in there. Um <laughs> uh the the final song of the of the album that we're going to go with and then we're going to pick do our picks for uh we'll do the first pick, how about that, of a uh, a song we think would be included on this because I think we each go one at a time to for time's sake to make the show's flow right. But uh the song is off of the Nevermind album and it's Polly.
1: Originally titled Hitchhiker and later Cracker, Polly dates back to at least 1988. The earliest known version is a home demo featuring Cobain on vocals and guitar. And 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 what's great about this song is this goes back to another thing we talked about before the show was, is he wrote this song mocking some of the people that actually like this song, you know, like, like the, the jocks, the, the date rapey sort of, uh, uh, you know, douchey guys that, that, that was part of why you know, Kurt Cobain tried to pull back was, you know, he felt like these are the guys that used to beat me up and now they're listening to my songs. And I don't think a lot of them realize that this song was, you know, intended to be a fuck you towards them.
2: And it's it's actually written, uh, it's about a, a real life rape that happened in, uh, in, in the kind of Seattle area where he grew up uh, the year before, the, so in 87 and it's written from the rapist's point of view, which is really kind of an odd thing to do, mm-hmm. and, and and very very, um, a little spooky and eerie when you when you think about
1: it. Well, and, and the thing is, it, it, what's odd about that is, well, not odd about that, but he was Kurt always fashioned himself and championed himself as a feminist. You know, like uh, he was always for women's rights and and you know and, and social issues. He was always on the uh, the. In favor of treat everybody the same, and uh, and for him to have this song like just to try to get into the head of the you know the the the, the rapist. I mean, it's it, it it gives it a little more power than you would expect. You know, like he's obviously trying to break it down and be like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy, and and.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, so I, think, I think the most interesting thing is, you know, you've, we've listened to this song a million times, not really under the guise of what it's about, you know, but, uh, but the part, the part in, that sticks out to me in the song is is uh, where, where Polly says her back hurts, she's just as bored as me, she caught me off my guard, you know, that towards the end of the song, and here says, Cobain's addiction to the story was to have the victim fool the kidnapper into thinking she was enjoying what was being done to her, and then he let his guard down long enough for her to escape and you know that really <laughs> that's really um writing it from the point of view that he wrote it from being from the um from the perpetrator if you will you know that's that's really really a well written song and the, the story that he was trying to tell
2: and, and it was like the the real story was that she did escape at a like mm-hmm. at a gas station kind yeah. of
0: thing um, but i mean it, it, what if this being the true story that it is Wow, this this song is very, very dark, much darker than, you know, I probably would have ever thought that it was just with some of the stuff that's in the notes.
1: And on that note, why don't we go ahead and pick our first song to try to lighten the mood a little bit. But before we do that, I just want to
2: point out that we're, we're seven songs in. So far, we've had an unknown song off of an album no one bought, two covers. And then the songs that they have done of their own are a song about an, an abortive substance, a song about rape, and a song calling everyone dumb. So yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of where we're at right now in in the uh, in, in this
0: show. <laughs> every time I, you I come on, every time you come on, Richie, this our shows just take a dark turn. I don't know why that is.
2: I, I'm just more fascinated that that uh, like MTV didn't pull the plug on this, mm-hmm. pull the plug on unplugged uh,
0: earlier. Would that be plugging it back in? Why didn't they plug it back in? I don't know. Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Richie, why don't you go for our first song that uh, we think should be on here or that you think should be on here that yeah. isn't, that you'd like to hear them do acoustically?
2: So so realistically, if they were going to do another acoustic song, I, I think something like Been a Son would have been a great choice. But as far as like the song I really would have liked to have had on here, um, I think I would have gone with Teen Spirit knowing the band's history with the song and their relationship with it by this point where they literally did not want to sing it they they didn't like what the song meant what it brought them and and the fact that they were expected to uh, dance for everyone every night and, and play the song they hated it yep yep like a little organ grinder but because this becomes their their last album their their goodbye it would have been nice to have one more version of teen spirit and I and I, and I get that that's not a great song to do acoustically um ideally you know by this point uh, rape me existed um and they they'd already started kind of using it as the the joke riff of no we're not going to we're going to play teen spirit but no we're not really cuz they they start with the exact same start it kind of would have been interesting to start into teen spirit or act like you're starting into teen spirit but go into rape me instead then bring it back to teen spirit and then possibly end with the, the, the rape me chorus, like, like a kind of medley of the two songs um, I think could have been cool.
1: Well, the other interesting thing with that choice would have been, they could have done it in a way where they took back ownership of the song, you know, where they felt like it, it got away from them and, and you know, that started the spiral. Uh, yes. Quote unquote, but it, but it would have been interesting whether or not you include the rape me part in there or not. Uh, uh, I can't believe we're just saying rape me. Like it's a, like a normal thing to say
0: Well, it's, uh, it's a song i mean you don't well mean yeah, yeah yeah by but it. anyhow
1: it's uh but it would have been it would have been interesting to hear this version and for them to, like i said like to take back control of it uh, uh you know the narrative
0: of it
2: and you know we're just saying it but if if you watch the dvd uh going back to the Rape me piece if you watch the dvd uh, right before it's either right before all apologies or right before uh where did you sleep they they ask for hey any requests and someone in the back just screams out rape me and they all stop and laugh and 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 one of the band members says kennedy is that you uh referring to the kennedy vj which i thought i thought just a hilarious moment in the in the episode
0: um, I found something on YouTube. I, I just want to play it. Some people that have covered "Smells Like Teen Spirit" acoustically. I do not know what this sounds like, so we'll we'll see. Just to see why, like maybe what it could have sounded like, slowed down. And if it doesn't work, I'll edit it out. So let's. Oh, shit. Is that Matthew Nathanson? It doesn't say. Okay. And I forgot you know who
1: else does a cover of this song like this. It's Sinead
0: Oh, really? Yeah. This doesn't sound bad. No. I think it's Matt Nathanson. Yeah, they could have pulled this off.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Especially once you add in the drums and everything else that would have been
0: going on. Yeah. It would have been cool to see. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. That's, that's not bad. So, all right. Well, that is, <laughs> I guess we're going to call it side one, episode one, whatever you want to call it of, uh, of all of this fun on, um, the, uh, good tape, looking back at MTV live in New York, the Nirvana unplugged album. So we will, uh, um, in this episode and pick up the next episode, which Dennis, are we going to do this in two separate weeks? Or are we going to put this up later in the week? What do you think? Well,
1: i think we ought to put it up later in the week okay it'd be just a special
0: so today so episode one's going up on monday which is what our new normal is and then what do we why don't we just um, make people feel normal and put we'll put the second part of it up on friday sounds great to me all right well we'll be back with part two coming up on friday so we'll talk to you again then.